0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back. This is the OIS Podcast. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, there's a very, very good chance that I am Vancouver bound in this moment up in the sky flying to OIS Retina, which is happening on Friday. In the great city of Vancouver, at least I hear it's great. I've never been there, very excited to go. And the OIS Retina program is equally great. You should go to ois.net. There you can check out the agenda of the day. It's actually a very, very creative agenda. Uh, Lots of stuff that uh, I'm very excited to see. You can uh, also read about the day. Our own Rich Kirchner wrote about it in last week's OIS Weekly. and You can find that article on ois.net. And then, of course, once you're completely wowed by both, you'll be registering to attend OIS Retina, which is happening on Friday at the Four Seasons in Vancouver. To tide you over until OIS Retina, we'll actually have two guests on this week's podcast. they will be talking about very different subjects. Our first guest is Amy Gallant-Sullivan. She is a co-founder and executive director of TFOS, a nonprofit organization that's working to raise awareness about ocular surface disease including dry eye, they uh, have been around for over a decade and they work with physicians and other entities to really let folks know that the irritation in their eye is not something to be ignored and it's something that they should really work to avoid. Just recently, last week, uh, TFOS hosted a session up on Capitol Hill to uh, explain the, uh, the dire situation about ocular surface disease to congressional staffers. And uh, we'll talk to Amy about the day and about the outcome. And after our conversation with Amy Gallant-Sullivan, we'll talk with Dr. Chi-Wan Lee. Dr. Lee is an assistant professor at Purdue University. Last month, Purdue released news that uh, researchers and a team led by Dr. Lee had developed a glucose-sensing contact lens. So we've uh, talked about the effort between Alcon and Google in the past, I caught up with Dr. Lee to ask about his project and what its origins were and what its capabilities are. So we'll, uh, we'll hear from Dr. Lee after our conversation with Amy Gallant-Sullivan. Well, Amy Gallant-Sullivan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate taking the time to speak to me.
0: Uh, so you've got a, a, a very interesting background, but I have to say that the, the most intriguing part, at least to me, is the fact that you started at Boston University's College of Communications the year after I graduated. So we were this, close, this close to being best friends, I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> and look where we are today. Look how far we've come.
1: Oh, that's impressive. Yes. Yes, and BU has such a small international community. Yes, exactly. Community.
0: Yeah, just a small <laughs> class of, of seventy thousand million people. But uh, let's get exactly. uh, let's, let's bring it into today. Uh, so you are now the uh, executive director of the Tear Film and Ocular Surface Society, and I, I want to find out a bit more about that entity and your recent goings on. You had some uh, excitement down in Capitol Hill. But uh, take a moment to to tell us. Well, first, actually, let me learn about you. We've we've already covered the college part. That's all done. But uh, how did you uh, end up where you are today? Because as I alluded to the beginning, you've uh, you've been doing a lot with your life since you left uh, Commonwealth Avenue in Boston.
1: That's true. Actually, I graduated from BU a bit early, um, and that took me to an interesting route because they wouldn't let me graduate until. I did a few things. One of them was working with Senator John Kerry, who I was actually, say, an apprentice speechwriter for, for a little while. So I was able to also work on the coordinated campaign once upon a time, a long, long time ago, um, the Clinton campaign. And then from there... I actually went into international business instead of politics because I decided I wanted to help people, but the way to do that, I would have to have something to do with money, not just politics. And so I went into business and I worked with international investments. And from there, I went into the international tech space and worked with the dot-coms and e-business. So, again, everything international. I lived in the U.S., Argentina, Spain, France, Italy, uh, and Boston, of course. But while I was working with international tech space, or again, known as the dot-com era. um, It kind of went dot bomb in 2001. And at that time, David Sullivan, who's the founder of TFOS and coincidentally, my father, he asked me if I had some time on the side to help him create a new company, which would in turn become TFOS. So he had actually started Organizing conferences back in 1992, before TFOS had a name, and he organized a, a meeting focused on ocular surface disease and dry eye in 1992. Again, 1996 and 2000, and in 2000 we actually incorporated the name Tearful Monocular Surface Society because, uh, truthfully, conferences are extremely expensive to organize and run, and his laboratory was funding it, and he really didn't want his great, great, great grandchildren to be paying for a bankruptcy. So we incorporated (laughs) the name. Uh, So that's how the name, when the name appeared in 2000, but he had already started organizing conferences before that. And then so that in November of 2000, we surveyed everyone that attended that meeting and everyone said that they would love it if we actually created more of a formal organization that did more than just a conference every few years. So In 2001, when the dot com space kind of went dot bomb, uh, I found myself with a little bit of an extended holiday. So David approached me and said, well, because of your business background and your international negotiation skills, would you be willing to help me create this new company? And I said, okay, but first and foremost, we need to change the name a little bit. And Tearful Monocular Surface Society needs to be TFOS. <laughs> we
0: need so a, everyone, we need a remember how to
1: say it. <laughs> yeah, well, I had been working in the financial space for so long that everything was an acronym. So That's I right. thought it would just be easier because first, first of all, clinicians don't have time. So Tearful Monocular Surface Society already takes up too much time. TFOS, easy, off the top, tip of your tongue, done and also a lot easier to explain to journalists who are writing a story. So and Ocular Surface Society is still obviously our legal name and the name of the organization, but it is known worldwide as TFOS. So that's how I became involved with TFOS. So in January of 2002, we launched TFOS as it's known today.
0: Wow. So what was the uh, the neighborhood, the ocular surface neighborhood, like back then? Where Obviously, we see a lot of attention being given to it today, maybe not enough, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but... Uh, were you, uh, did you, were you on a lonely street by yourself at TFOS or did you have a lot of support and a lot of, uh, a lot of neighbors?
1: That's actually a really good question. And in fact, the reason why David and all of his colleagues wanted the likes of TFOS to be created was because there was really an unmet need for focusing on ocular surface disease because it, it just wasn't, um, It wasn't very much addressed. And David had been part of a a group called the Lacrimal Gland Study Group at Arvo for many years before he came up, um, before he decided to create TFOS. And they were constantly recruiting people that had interest in the ocular surface, and they gave out grants for young investigators. And so they were just drumming up interest in the ocular surface. So there was definitely an interest, but it wasn't It wasn't very well recognized because even today, there are outside of the US, there aren't that many specialists that are focused solely on the ocular surface. So it's still it's still a hot area and a growing area. So when TFOS started, it was it was pretty much a new territory um, in terms of dry eye disease It was uh, an interesting subject because it had definitely been addressed before, but again, not that much attention had been placed on it. So when we did the original Tfos Dry workshop in 2007, we actually started working on that in 2004. So that was a three-year initiative, and it was um, a very energized subject, and we had experts around the world participating in that workshop and when that was finally published it it was very eye-opening because people realized that a lot more is needed and a lot more uh must be learned and must be done about this disease and truthfully that was in 2007 and we just published the sequel in 2017 and we realized wow we still have so much more to do
0: (laughs) So, what are some of the tools that uh, that you're using to to raise awareness and in, in uh, education? As you mentioned the conferences early on. You've moved beyond that, but uh, what are what are some of the things that you're doing?
1: So, what's great about TFOS is, first of all, we bring together disparate fields. We also bring together ophthalmologists, optometrists, PhDs, industry, investors, inventors, um, and now even patients. So, we bring together. Everyone and anyone who has an interest in the front of the eye, to put it simply. And we organize international conferences and symposia, expert meetings, workshops, networking activities. Uh, we do a lot. Uh, we also have done several workshops and which include the TFOS, the original TFOS Dry workshop, the sequel TFOS Do's 2 the international workshop on mybomian gland dysfunction, and also the international workshop on contact one's discomfort. And we also have some mini workshops coming up, uh, or experts meetings. Uh, we actually did an expert meeting that we published a supplement on, 80 page supplement, so not a little one. Uh, and that was on the unmet need of dry eye treatment. So Mm -hmm. that was also interesting. So we do, we do a lot to engage the, the clinicians, uh, but also the the academics and the industry. And we work together with all of them and we do our best to bring everyone together because we feel as though it's really important in order to understand the diseases, to see, see them from all different angles.
0: Interesting. And and last week you had uh, a meeting up uh, uh, with Congress, a congressional briefing on, uh, on ocular surface disease, uh, what was uh, what was the genesis of that? What, what were the objectives of that meeting? And tell us a little bit about the. Uh, I assume the day was a day or days plural.
1: Uh, so actually, that was that was exciting because July, as of last year, has been reofficialized as the Dry eye Awareness Month. So July, Dry eye Awareness Month. Perfect. So Naver. Uh, and Jim Drakowski approached TFOS and asked TFOS last year, actually, if we could come to Congress and give a briefing about dry eye disease. So last year we gave them an overview of the disease and also the TFOS dry workshop, the, the sequel, TFOS Does Two, and explained to them how important it is to not only recognize dry as a disease, but also to allocate more research funding to it. And so this year there was again, and, a request for us to return and this year we actually explained how dry eye is really a lifestyle epidemic shall we say it's an equal opportunity disease and it really impacts people of all ages including children so we invited guest speakers and from different areas Uh, David Sullivan spoke, Janine Austin Clayton from NIH NIH spoke, Uh, Penny Asbell, uh, Scott Schachter, and Leslie O'Dell. So we addressed several different areas. Uh, Again, how your lifestyle choices can impact um, your your having dry eye um, in cases like the type of medications that you're prescribed. Um, There are over 40 medications that are known to uh, cause or exacerbate dry eye, for example, antihistamines or antidepressants um, or, say, glaucoma drops. And we discussed the use of contact lenses and dry eye, so iatrogenic dry eye in many cases. But what was also really interesting was uh, Scott Schachter spoke about uh, technology use and dry eye, and he was using examples of how many children are coming into his practice with uh, severe meibomian gland dysfunction due to the overuse of technology. And it was absolutely horrifying to see young children. He was he was being about seven-year-olds, 12-year-olds with with severe MGD. And that just, people in the audience were just cringing. Uh, and then Leslie O'Dell addressed how cosmetic usage can also cause or exacerbate, huh? Promote dry eye disease. And it's really, they were really eye opening subjects. So it was fantastic because, again, July is Dry Eye Awareness Month, and we were able to address how there are so many areas out there that can promote dry eye disease and why it's really important to allocate uh, more funding towards research for this disease because it impacts so many millions of people, not only in the US, but around the world. Uh, and ideally and hopefully, uh, we'll also be educating. Other countries, I mean, for example, the European Commission, uh, They, we may be doing a presentation there to educate them on the same level as what we did in D.C., and we've also been asked in other countries around the world to have more education of the regulatory bodies to make them more aware of the impacts uh, and how we could collaborate. So this is really a global initiative, and, well, it started in Boston.
0: Amazing. Where do you think the awareness? Let me rephrase the question. Do we need to reach out more to the the public? I've got two boys, uh, twelve and eight, and I tell them to blink all the time when they're using their devices (laughs) because I hear these stories as well. But if you talk to folks at the uh, at a barbecue or something, no one's going to know what dry eye is. They just think they have an irritation. Do we need to reach out more to the general public and, and educate them as well so they can go into their doctors demanding the the newest, uh, whatever Zydra, Trutera, whatever new treatment there is out there.
1: Absolutely, well, I think it it begins before the treatment. So, and again, because dry eye disease is an op- equal opportunity to, re- to sorry, an equal opportunity disease, we really need to speak with everyone about it. So it isn't just something that the clinicians speak about and roll their eyes and say, "I don't feel like dealing with dry eye patients," because of course it, they need to be addressed. Um, but we need to, we need to talk to our neighbors. We need to talk to our friends and say, Hey, did you realize that so many people come to me and say, um, I think I might have dry because I use my computer too much, or I have fake eyelashes or I wear contact lenses, or I just had LASIK. What am I supposed to do? And I said, good question. Why don't you go see your eye doctor? Most people don't go to see their eye doctor until they have a problem, and there needs to be more awareness about that. Mm -hmm. And so TFOS is definitely making inroads in terms of patient outreach. And at this point, we're, we're trying to raise more funds so we can actually hire someone to focus on patient advocacy because it is so important. Because also when the patients are educated correctly, they can go to their eye care practitioner and say, look, I use these medications. I've had these surgeries. I have this lifestyle. I think I may be prone to this, or can you help me because what am I doing or what can I change to make a difference? And again, from children, it, to adults at every age. Everybody has to understand, and people don't pay attention. So we've done silly things like create the Think Blink campaign. We created a song um, reminding people that it's important to to blink. We have a brochure, Think Blink. We have T-shirts, Think Blink. It's goofy, but sometimes you need to do goofy because when you have too much science and too much serious speak, people don't pay attention. So when you can go goofy and do videos and do songs and do dances – sometimes that's what gets the word out. Um, it's sometimes it's creativity, which, which makes the difference. And also because TFAS doesn't endorse products and we want everyone to have access to the information. So we do everything we can to collaborate with other associations and organizations as well in order to disseminate our education. Um, and again, our education has been created by key opinion leaders from around the world. So it's, it's information that's been vetted. It's information that's objective, and we want everyone to have access to it. So the more people you can share it with, the better. Speak to your neighbors. Speak to your friends. Speak to your parents. <laughs> everyone needs to know about it.
0: Speak to your kids. Is there, is there a group that we need to uh, address that we're not? Maybe the, the payers, the insurance industry, anyone out there, a, a, a demographic or a segment of the population that hasn't received the message yet and, and needs to sort of act on this?
1: I think everyone needs to re-receive the message, including the insurers. Uh, Dry eye disease is uh, more than $4 billion billion burden on the U.S. healthcare system. Mm -hmm. It's a $60 billion burden on U.S. society in general. If you look at those numbers, if there's a $4 billion burden on the U.S. healthcare space, obviously there isn't enough education there. Um, and imagine the productivity that could be increased just in the workday if people's dry eye was addressed. So again, it's not really a sexy topic, but it's something that, you know, we want people to be made aware about. And so however you do that, whether you're speaking with your employees, for example, every company that has employees that sit near a computer, use a computer or use a phone, an iPhone, a smartphone, they should have some discussion about eye health because mm-hmm. I remember when I was working in the investment space, I would get into the office at six thirty in the morning and I would leave around eight that 's a long day on the computer, and that was before smartphones. But now, if you think about how much screen time people are using and children,
0: mm-hmm. they
1: now bring computers to school, so they 're spending all day on the computer they get home they 're looking at their laptops, their tablets their iphones their they're just, they're glued, they're glued to these screens. And employers, teachers, everyone needs to realize this. So it isn't just about technology, but it's really overall, again, lifestyle choices. And I don't think there's been enough education yet about how our lifestyle choices can really promote dry eye disease.
0: I know you don't want to endorse a, a specific product, but uh, you must be encouraged by some of the innovation going on. We, I mentioned Shire early on with Zydra. We've got True with Allergan. Uh, last week on the podcast, we had Oyster Point talk about their phase two results for for dry eye. There's a lot of attention being paid to this space. Does that that must be encouraging for you and and give you hope?
1: Well, it's really exciting and to see how much innovation there is. And I saw a presentation recently that said there are over a hundred clinical trials for dry eye products currently ongoing. That's amazing not only is it exciting, but it's also a little scary because that shows that we still haven't helped the disease. So I'm really looking forward to see what else comes on the market and how we can help the patients because the patients definitely want some more answers. But I think first and foremost, we need to educate everyone about the disease and realize that it is a disease that needs to be addressed. And there are things that we can do to change it. Obviously, there are some times we can't avoid it, but people have to understand how they can you know, how they can take precautions. And if they do have dry disease, how can they treat and manage it?
0: All right. Were you able to get some kind of consensus uh, in Congress? That'd be a a nice change of pace down there.
1: Oh, well, they didn't exactly write a check while we were there, but we've received a lot of responses back from our emails, uh, which is, is quite good. So the legislative staff has actually responded to us and said, thank you so much, And we'd love to, we'd love to visit some laboratories. We'd love to learn some more and please keep us abreast of the developments. And they look forward to having us back on the Hill. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot more to do, but they were very, very responsive. So it was great. And there's actually been a lot of media coverage as well, uh, which is fantastic because again, any way we can get the message out and, and any platform we use all of it. And uh, social media is a, a great facilitator to get the word out. Even though it's technology, once again. <laughs> yeah,
0: no kidding. That's the irony, right? Well, hopefully, people will blink as they're uh, they're reading the tweet about this podcast. And uh, with with the podcast, that's a beauty. They can just close their eyes and relax. They don't even have to use their eyes exactly. at all. Exactly. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Thanks for uh, fighting the good fight. And go, Terriers.
1: I appreciate your time, Harry. Thank you. Have a great day, and don't forget to blink.
0: <laughs> Think blink. Bye, bye. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Amy, Glenn Sullivan, for joining us on the podcast. Go Terriers. Now we'll go to the land of the Boilermaker Special, Purdue University. As I mentioned up top, Dr. Chi-Wan Lee is an assistant professor at Purdue. And Purdue recently announced that they have developed uh, an early version of a glucose monitoring contact lens, similar in objective to the one that uh, was being talked about and worked on by Google and Alcon. So I uh, contacted Dr. Lee. We spoke about the program. It's still in the very early stages. It still needs to undergo animal testing, but uh, he's very excited about the potential, and it seemed like a uh, project that was worth shining some light on. So let's talk with Dr. Chi-Wan Lee, assistant professor at Purdue University. I was uh, really intrigued by the news I saw a few weeks ago. That uh, you put out via Purdue University, that you had developed a soft contact lens to monitor glucose uh, levels as well as some other uh, some other measurements. And uh, this is something that's been talked about a lot. Uh, it's something that Google and Alcon had worked together to develop, and I'm sure they still are. I wanted to learn a, a bit about uh, about your project and, and your program. How did you? What led you to work uh, on this project? Can you give us a little bit of background?
2: Yeah. I was fascinated by the Google's smart contact lens a couple of years ago when I saw the articles, and then uh, that uh, contact lens devices can uh, monitor some of the health conditions, including uh, the glaucoma or others ocular other ocular diseases in a non-invasive manner just by wearing the contact lens. This fact was a very. I was really fascinated by this fact, and then. I'm uh, very interested in this project. So, But at the same time, I learned that uh, they uh, used a plastic-based contact wrench, which is remitted by their uh, poor uh, biocompatibility and uh, uh, the wearability. So I, I thought that I, I could uh, resolve some of these uh, challenges by using my technologies.
0: What is a? Let me focus a bit first on you. What is your background? You're an assistant professor of biomedical engineering and mechanical engineering at Purdue. Uh, what is a, that's your your position? But can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and yourself and how you got to that position?
2: Yeah, I'm a assistant professor at Purdue University uh, with a joint appointment between biomedical and mechanical engineering. And my background is mechanical engineering. I have developed some of uh, printing techniques, manufacturing techniques, and then analysis of the mechanics of flexible, stretchable electronic devices. And I uh, use these uh, materials and devices for uh, uh, applications in wearable uh, biomedical devices.
0: And how long have you been at Purdue?
2: I have been here uh, for three years. Excellent.
0: So tell us a bit about who worked on this project? Uh, give us a sense of how many people are working with you? Is this something you did by yourself or do you have a whole team there that was uh, working on uh, on the device? and then we'll on the lens and then let's get after that, I'd like to ask you about the lens itself and you can tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, uh, I uh, work with uh, uh, some of the teams uh, team members and then uh, including myself and my students and postdocs. and I also collaborate with uh, Professor Shao Liu. In the School of Medicine at Indiana University, so uh, I, I, I focus on development of uh, these smart contact lens devices, and uh, she is more focused on uh, the uh, validation of our devices on the animals models such as rabbits' uh, eye. And I'm also collaborating with uh, Professor Pedro Irajaki at uh, Purdue University. He's uh, he's. Uh, uh, his expertise is on the uh, development of a wireless uh, communication system, so we are work together uh, for this project.
0: And you mentioned earlier on that you you heard of somehow the, the Google Alcon project, and of course, that's no secret. So it's not a surprise that you heard about it. But what was it about the the project that sort of in, in, uh, that interested you in, in in developing one of your own?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So the Google's content range, and including others. Uh, uh, I learned that uh, they use a uh, plastic-based uh, contact vent or a custom-made uh, some transparent polymer-based uh, substrate in order to fabricate their uh, smart uh, contact vent systems. But at the same time, uh, this kind of uh, tray has limitations in, uh, by which that they are remitted uh, by their uh, for uh, biocompatibility and oxygen permeability, which means that uh, you can uh, wear uh, this smart contact vents device for a long period of time. So, I noticed uh, about this fact and then um, what I actually developed is, is the uh, some of uh, very unique uh, uh, printing techniques that allows me to uh, directly print uh, functional, multifunctional sensor systems on top of the uh, commercial hydrogel-based soft contact lens. So this is the uh, uh, commercially available soft contact lens that can provide you uh, the long-term wearability, uh, theoretically up to more than 30 days, and then very good oxygen permeability and the mechanical softness. So. I, I thought that this uh, commercial soft contact lenses uh, is, uh, is the uh, ideal platform for eye wearable uh, smart contact vent systems. But uh, so far, uh, none of uh, uh, it is. Uh, it has been uh, very challenging to fabricate uh, functional sensor systems on top of the uh, commercial soft contact lenses. So here, I'm uh, focusing on uh the development of new uh, printing techniques that allows me to print the sensors on top of commercial soft contact lenses
0: So I'm looking at an image of of the lens now and it's on I imagine it's on, someone either has a blue glove or it's on some kind of fingertip shaped object and it's a lens that's uh it might be your fingertip it's a lens that uh that is obviously is, is a clear circle in the middle to allow the, the, the light to come in, but the, it's the, the, the lens around the side is, is covered with uh, a golden-colored uh, printed sensors. So uh, how are they affixed to the lens? I imagine uh, are they on the outside or the inside of the lens? Forgive my stupid questions, but could you tell us just a little bit about the, the, the design of the lens?
2: Oh yeah, the the currently the the sensor itself is the uh, the thickness is very very thin. It's uh, uh, less than one micron, so very comfortably can be attached to the uh, surface of soft contact lens, as you can see in this image. And then the center area, uh, it it has uh, some of uh, uh, it is empty in the center of the uh, sensor, so to uh, ensure your uh, visibility. And then the uh, peripheral area of the soft-content lens, I put the uh, uh, the sensor materials, uh, which includes uh, gold as electrode and then silicone a nanomembrane to serve as the uh, semiconducting element and some other insulating, etc. cetera. Uh, and then uh, on top of it, I also use another uh, hydrogel-based uh, uh, material uh, to encapsulate uh, the entire structures. So currently, the sensor material uh, that you can see in this image uh, is in, uh, sandwiched in between the bottom hydrogel-based soft contact lens and the top another very thin hydrogels as encapsulation.
0: And what is the lens able to uh, to monitor beyond glucose?
2: Yeah, the um, the current version uh, uh, here in this image can measure. Um, the thermogram, which means that you can measure uh, the temperature distribution across the corneal area. So, according to several literatures, an uh, abnormal distribution of the corneal temperature might be the earlier indication of some of ocular disease, such as glaucoma. Right. So, this device, specific device, can measure. Uh, uh, the distribution of the temperature across the conical area in a very high resolution, so it can provide some of medically useful information to the wearer in a real-time fashion.
0: And it's also able to detect uh, pH value and lactate. I'm just reading from the, the the release that you folks sent out. What uh, what are some of the benefits of those other measurements?
2: Yeah, uh, actually uh, this. Uh, I have developed a basic platform uh of uh, soft counter range devices which can incorporate can be incorporated with uh, many uh other sensing elements uh, the current version has a uh, the thermogram as i just mentioned but uh the next version i'm uh uh uh, uh planning to i'm actually working on the integrating this platform with uh, some of electro uh chemical sensing element uh which can Provide the ability to monitor the glucose and lactate and a pH from your uh, uh, tear film.
0: So, what is the next plan for the lens? Or are you looking to work with uh, corporations? Or are you? What are, What are your plans for the lens? What What's your ultimate goal? Uh,
2: currently, I'm uh, collaborating uh, with uh, Professor Sherry Liu in the School of Medicine at Indiana University. So, my next plan. Is to validate the biosafety and the utility of this uh, uh, smart soft contact lens device on an animal model first, on the uh, uh, white rabbit's eye, uh, and then uh, once after we validate this biosafety and the functionality of this platform, then we uh, we also plan to do uh, some of tests on humans.
0: So what is the lens? What has the lens been tested on up until now? Has it been tested on animals at all?
2: Uh we we're, uh, uh, we just submitted uh, uh, the uh, animal study protocols so it is penned now so the uh, we have established the uh, optimal materials and assembly techniques and the related mechanics uh, to establish this uh, soft lens devices and then uh, it is validated.
0: On our bench tops. So the so the sensors that you're currently using have been have demonstrated they can test glucose and other um, other measurable um, quantities on, on the benchtop, but you have not tested that yet in uh, in animals at all. No, none yet not okay. in,
2: on the animal. Yeah.
0: So what do you see as a as a time frame being for uh, for ha- having that done? Do you have an idea?
2: It takes uh several months to get uh the uh, the animal study op- protocol approved. Then uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some uh, tests and back and forth between the Purdue University and the Indiana University. I anticipate that it would take uh roughly a year until the uh, biosafety is validated.
0: So are you you patenting the the the, um, the- a fixing of the sensors onto the lens, or is yeah. it is it the manufacturer that is it the unique yeah. way that you're manufacturing the sensors that are used in the lenses? I,
2: I parented. I parented the uh, printing techniques that allows you to build multifunctional sensors on top of uh, commercial soft contact lens.
0: Interesting. And. It, this technology or this this um, way of of printing that you've developed is it is it is it a unique system that you've you've developed or is it something that's that's available more broadly?
2: That's what I developed. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's my contribution in this field. Yeah.
0: So what is this? What will the information collected by the lens? Uh, what is it currently being transmitted to, or is this? Do you see a day where this is connected to? Uh, I mean, is it able to commun- communicate uh, via Bluetooth to to uh, Bluetooth-enabled devices, or or how how is it transmitting the data that it's, cl- that it's collecting from the lens?
2: Yeah, the current version is using the Bluetooth. This is Bluetooth-enabled systems. We use uh, a commercially available, the miniaturized Bluetooth chips, which is a sub-millimeter size, and then. Um, yeah, it can uh, he can transmit the measured data to uh, the external uh, computing system, such as smartphones.
0: Interesting. And uh, final question, have you had any uh, phone calls from Google or Alcon at all regarding this?
2: Uh, none yet, but I just uh, sent an email to uh, Samsung Electronics, and at the same time, I also uh, submitted a proposal to them. So.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, yeah. exciting. I'm,
2: I'm working with uh, uh, the uh, the business office at Purdue University, the mm-hmm. Technology Commercialization Office. So they, uh, as far as I know, they're uh, they're looking for uh, uh, some of companies or in, investors who, who's interested in this technology. That's why they released the news related to this technology sure. a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of mo- uh, days ago, actually.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's an exciting development, and uh, well, we Thanks. look forward to, uh, to following your progress. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Thanks
2: so much for your time.
0: All right, well, that is a wrap. As I mentioned, the uh, project is still in its early stages, but it's certainly an exciting development to follow. So I hope you enjoyed that visit with Dr. Lee, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Amy Gallant-Sullivan as well. I also hope you'll join us on Friday at OIS Retina. Please go to ois.net to register and to attend. We'd love to see you there. And uh, we'd also would appreciate it if you could help out the podcast by subscribing, telling your friends, and give us a ranking on iTunes. It's great to spread the word about the podcast. And uh, please do reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at MedTechTom, or you can email me tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy produces the OIS podcast as well as the OIS events, including OIS Retina, which is happening on Friday. Go to ois.net to register, and we will see you in Vancouver.